Welcome to episode 154 of the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Beth Bilo, and I am very grateful that you have joined me. Thank you for sharing this time with me. What do you think of when you hear the word boss? Often, it's not a pleasant image. Otherwise, why would we use the term bossy when someone is being overbearing or micromanaging us? It's one of those words that has most likely gotten a little bit twisted or distorted from its original meaning. And in this episode, we're going to get a different perspective on the label boss and learn more about what introverts can do to be great bosses. And if you hear this and you think, but I work for myself, I don't have a boss, and I'm not anyone else's boss, I encourage you to stick around anyway. What we're going to learn applies to those of us who are our own boss. You may feel, as I often do, that even though there's just one of you, there are competing agendas and differing opinions that live inside of you. One of those parts of you is the keeper of the agenda that's going to create your success. It's the boss of you. Do you listen to it? What's your relationship with it? What's its personality like? Is it hard driving or is it forgiving? And do you take care of your inner boss so that it can do its best work? As you listen to my conversation with Renee, consider how his advice applies to how you manage yourself. My guess is you're going to walk away with more than one aha moment that will change the way you approach your business. And maybe you'll end up with a little bit of a kinder, more compassionate boss of you. Let's get to the conversation. Renee Bohr has 30 years business experience with well-known restaurant brands such as Pizza Hut, Arby's, and Jamba Juice. As a certified implementer of EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System, he has worked with hundreds of leaders and managers, aligning them around a shared vision, helping them gain traction while improving team health. He's a firm believer that great bosses don't create more followers, they create more great bosses. He's the co-author with Gina Wickman of How to Be a Great Boss, published by Ben Bella Books in 2016. Welcome, Renee, to the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I am really delighted to be chatting with you today. I am delighted to be chatting with you as well, and thanks so much for inviting me on your program. Well, what is making you smile today? That's a great little question. I uh, We do a lot of FaceTime with our uh, grandkids, and uh, my five-year-old grandson, Trent, is making me smile today. He's all about tools and trucks. Mm. And you gotta love a five-year-old who's in the tools and trucks. So he's a chip off the old block. <laughs> awesome, and it's it's lovely, isn't it, that technology can bring us closer to to people at a distance like that? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's give listeners some context as we jump into the conversation about um, your perspective. So, where do you fall on the introvert extrovert spectrum, and how has that awareness influenced your path? Yeah, that's so interesting. Uh, you know, years ago, I took the Myers-Briggs and found out that I was an introvert. And I had been, up until that point, kind of living my life uh, thinking that I was an extrovert. And I was always wondering, you know, why I was so stressed, <laughs> you know, and why. And it's just like, yeah. God, it should be easier for me. And then when I when I took that, 
it was a it was a kind of an aha, you know, that hey, no wonder I've been mm-hmm. I've been trying to pretend to be something that I'm really not, and it just made me a lot more comfortable in my own skin. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're reminding me like there are two probably types of people that are relieved to get their Myers Briggs results and come out an introvert. Someone who thought they were an extrovert and was exhausted by it, and someone who thought they were more on the shy socially awkward, sort of painful side of the spectrum, who realizes, oh, wait a minute, maybe that's, you know, there's, there's something else going on here. Sure. And that some of my tendencies are more natural than I than I thought. And then for the extrovert, oh, it's natural, of course, I would be exhausted. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, don't get me wrong, I'm not I don't think I'm socially awkward. But oh, yeah, no, if, if my wife and I attend a social event, uh, if there's 50 people there, Three hours later, she can tell you something about everybody in the room. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I've buttonholed one or two people, and I've never left them out of my sight. Yeah. And uh, so it's something that gives her energy, and it's something that takes a bunch of energy for me. And uh, it's funny, about a year ago, we were, we were having that conversation, and uh, my wife said, no, 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 you're really an extrovert. I mean, look at how you make conversation with people. And I said, well, no, I'm really an introvert, and if you doubt that, let's get our daughters on the phone. Mm-hmm. So we did. <laughs> so we got, so we got, we got both daughters on the phone, Allison and Aaron, and and, and Judy said, "Okay, uh, tell me, is your dad an extrovert or an introvert?" And they both laughed and said, "Come on, mom, he's an introvert. Look at him at family functions. He's good for five minutes, and then he's off doing a crossword puzzle or reading a book." <laughs> <laughs> it's yep. absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, it's it's great that you had that mirrored back in your daughters, and, and I bet it was an eye opener for your wife. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, I want to I want to turn to your book. Okay. And um, it's called How to Be a Great Boss. And a point you make from the start is that it's important to claim the word boss. And and I'm I'm guessing part of that is because uh, the word boss has been you know somewhat maligned. Maybe. Um, how do you define boss, and what do you think is the value of using that terminology? Yeah, no, I don't think it's anything that anybody has to be apologetic for. We just have to come to terms with it. And that word uh, has been around for over 200 years. It, it has its origins in the Dutch language. Mm-hmm. And the original meaning of that word uh, is, is meant to be a title of respect for a person in charge. And so think about it. So as a boss, the challenge is you must earn the respect mm-hmm. of the people that you lead. You can't command respect. And so, you know, when I read that and I, I found out about that, I thought, you know, that's why that word is so important. So why are we being apologetic about it or trying to soft pedal it? And, uh, you know, so it's something we should be proud of. Mm-hmm. If you're a boss, you got to be proud of the fact that you have a title of respect that you've earned. <laughs> So that's it, straight straight and simple. Yeah, absolutely. So to that point, you know, we often think that bosses need to be larger than life figures. You know, not only do we have these misconceptions about the word boss, you know, and I, I'm glad you're helping us to reclaim that. But then there's also the, the stereotype that we have. But you point out that that larger than life charisma is not a prerequisite. What strengths do you see introverts bringing to the role of boss? Yeah, so that that's really good. I, I think one of the things about introverts is, uh, especially if they're comfortable in their own skin, it's uh, it's you don't really have to pretend to be something that you're not. And I think you're you're naturally maybe a better observer and 
perhaps a better listener. Mm -hmm. So it's not just about talking, it's about listening and really understanding. And I think, you know, the people that we work with appreciate that because, you know, so often, you know, employees are being told what to do. Mm -hmm. And I think as an introvert, leverage that skill of trying to understand first, right? To borrow from Stephen Covey. Try to understand first, and it's about asking the questions and getting other people talking. And boy, the more you do that as an introvert, you j- I think you just start feeling better. Like, wow, I'm pretty good at this conversational stuff. I haven't said much. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. They say the best conversationalists. <laughs> I haven't had to say much. Yeah. But boy, they're talking, and I'm feeling yeah. about that. Yeah, they, they say the best conversationalists are the best listeners, right? <laughs> or, or you you walk away, you know, someone will walk away from a conversation and say, wow, that was great. And it's like, well, what happened is they probably were listened to about, you know, 75% of the time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, what about the introvert who isn't in that leadership or that boss role, but wants to be seen that way? What can they do to leverage that that listening and observation skill that you just mentioned? And what can they do to stand out? Well, yeah. So that's that's really good, too. So think about an introvert in a team setting where maybe everybody else is talking. Uh, I've found this to be true. Uh, if, if that introvert asks really good questions, after a while, everybody in the room, no matter who's talking or who's taking up most of the airtime, uh, everybody in the room looks to that person. They're really curious to hear what they have to say. And I think you do that by just thinking about asking some really good questions that, that lend clarity to the discussion. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And, you know, there's probably about, you know, 20 articles to every one about how introverts can speak up more (laughs) Um, to every one article that's talking about how can they use their listening in those situations to make their presence heard. And so I appreciate what you just said about like listening and then being able to ask a really good question. Sure. It's it's like another angle besides just trying to elbow your way into the conversation. Sure. And there's a lot of body language involved with listening, too. So if you're an introvert and you're sitting in that meeting and you're leaning forward and you're looking at the people who are speaking, you are actively engaged in that meeting. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're not sitting there checking out, (laughs) you know, or or not paying attention. Yeah. Uh, And quite frankly, there are a lot of extroverts who uh, are so used to talking that when someone else is talking, they're really not listening, they're not paying attention, and they're thinking about what they're going to say next. And after a while, it's exhausting for everybody in the room. So I think introverts can, can add a lot of value. Well, then how does a great boss relate to those different kinds of needs? Like you just pointed out, you know, the differences in the way an introvert or an extrovert might show up on a team. Yeah. So yeah. how can a boss navigate those kinds of different dynamics? Yeah. So, you know, think about if you have five or six or doesn't matter how many direct reports you have. But if you recognize that they're all different. You know, they're all human. They're all different. They're not all alike. And one size isn't going to fit all. I think it's building a relationship with each person and trying to figure out what the right kind of meeting pulse is with your people so that you're just really, really good at keeping the circles connected. And some people need a little bit more time and some people might need a little bit of less time, but everybody needs your time, right? Uh, and And I think in those kinds of conversations, just to get people going, I know we, in, in our book we call this the quarterly conversation, 
uh, maybe this is a good time to go there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people are saying, oh, I, I, bosses say, oh, I talk to my people all the time. We're always communicating. <laughs> I like to challenge that. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah we're always talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but are those hallway conversations and conversations in the lunchroom or around the water cooler, are they genuinely conversations where we're at a little different level and we've got a more thorough understanding of each other? And those kinds of conversations, uh, you know, it's an opportunity, I think, to sit down with each person, whether they're introverted or extroverted, and just have a conversation around, hey, you know, what's working and what's not working mm-hmm. uh, regarding maybe the culture of our organization, the roles that you play in the organization, and some of the projects or key priorities that you're working on. What's working, what's not working? And get that person talking. Yeah. And boy, those can be really, really powerful conversations. And quite frankly, people aren't used to having them. Every time boss calls you and says, hey, we need to talk. Uh-oh, yeah, you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> I guarantee you, no one's thinking, oh, boy, this is going to be great. Yeah, and heaven forbid <laughs> you know? it's a Friday afternoon at 3 p.m., you know. Oh, know. <laughs> it's just it's the HR person. Yeah. <laughs> Timing is everything. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, I love that you're you're reminding us talking is not necessarily communicating. Oh, exactly. And to remember to look at the quality of what it is as opposed to quantity. And I think that's another important point for introverts in particular to take away. Yeah. That can make a difference. Sure, sure. So in, in your book, I, you outline a number of different frameworks and strategies that people can use to be great bosses. And one that stood out to me was delegate and elevate. Yeah. <laughs> And I think that stood out for me because I tend to be uh, one of those people that believes that if you want it done right, do it yourself. Sure. Was probably said by an introvert. <laughs> and and I sense I'm not alone with that because sometimes we can have trouble with delegation and or just bringing other people into a process because it takes a lot of energy. So can you tell us more about what you mean by delegate and elevate and what that looks like in action? Yeah, so there's, there's two parts of it. Uh, first, it's really understanding your key ability, what it is that you love to do and you're really, really good and great at doing. So Dan Sullivan would call this your unique ability. You know, it's just what is it that you love to do and you're really great at versus what are things that you might be good at, but if you put your hand over heart, you realize that, you know what, I really don't like doing this stuff. And it might be because you've been doing it so long, it's just second nature, but it's mm-hmm. just not giving you any energy. And unfortunately, I think so many people go through life doing a whole bunch of stuff that they might be good at, but it's not anything they get really excited about doing. And as a consequence, they never get to that point where they're living their life doing what they love to do and doing those things that they really, really are great at. And so this is a bit of an exercise, and, you know, it's just interesting. I, I kind of go through this every quarter, so I kind of practice what I preach. But but I keep a diary, and I yeah. in the month of May, I just sat down and said, you know what, I am going to just write down everything that I find myself doing. It doesn't matter if it takes five minutes or a half hour or whatever it is, I'm just going to write it all down. Well, I wound up with 96 things. Wow. 96 things. So when I really looked at all that stuff, uh, out of the 96, only eight made the list of things that I love to do and I'm great at. And what about all that other stuff? Yeah, what do you do with that? (laughs) What do you do with that? So 
first thing is you got to overcome your own head trash and you you just hit the perfect one which is you know what it's just forget it it's easier for me to just do it myself mm-hmm. right and and of course there's other ones like uh takes too long to train someone yes i this was the one that used to kill me you know i would never ask anyone to do anything that i wouldn't do myself so I would look at things that I just didn't like to do or wasn't very good at, and I'd, I'd feel so guilty asking anybody else to do it, mm-hmm. not thinking for a minute that maybe they really love doing that kind of stuff. Exactly. So that <laughs> that is a really, really important thing. And what you find you're, you're doing is you're spending more and more of your energy on the things that you truly love to do and that you're great at doing, and that is just, it's a game changer for your life. And you're figuring out ways to just get rid of the, the rest of the stuff. Now, it's the head trash stuff that you've got to overcome first. The next thing is, as a boss, you've got to have people working for you that get it, want it, and have the capacity to take on those other things that you want to delegate. And sometimes when bosses refuse to do that, it is debilitating for their direct reports. They're not going to grow. They're not going to expand their capacity because you've never given them anything. You're holding on to everything way, way, way too tight. Mm-hmm. And so that's not good for the boss who's working his butt off. <laughs> and you have a bunch of employees standing around, you know, just saying, well, okay, you know, if yeah. he, he or she wants to do it all, let them do it all. That Well, that's not good. No, right? no. It's not good. Yeah. Well, you're, you're, you make an excellent point about how it's part of the boss's responsibility to be expanding the capacity of those that report to the boss. Mm-hmm. And if you're holding too tightly to things, then you're not giving them an opportunity to use their gifts or to even explore what those gifts might be. Sometimes we can even make up that head trash story that it's like, I'm, I don't want to burden other people with this because I can just do it myself. Sure. But in some ways, it's kind of selfish because it's denying somebody else an opportunity to grow into something, discover if they want to do it. Sure. Well, and then it becomes highly dysfunctional when someone starts thinking, you know, the more I hang on to, the more valuable I become. Right. Because now I'm irreplaceable. They couldn't possibly, you know. And Mm -hmm. so I'm going to make sure I hold all this tribal knowledge in. And and that's just not good. Uh, The other thing that's interesting about doing this exercise and I kind of call this one cleaning out the file cabinet, you, you'll look at a bunch of activities that you're doing, and quite frankly, no one should be doing that. Right, right. Right. So this is my, why am I doing this? And no one should be doing this. This is a complete waste of time. Uh, I just need to cross it off the list and make sure nobody else is doing it either. Mm-hmm. And I'll bet you there are all sorts of activities that creep into our lives that are like, uh, what the heck? I mean, this makes no sense. And sometimes people are just unwilling to raise their hand and say, hey, hang on. You know, you got me working on this project. I do it every week. It takes me five hours to do. And I got to ask the question, why am I doing this? And I'll bet you nobody can answer it. Mm -hmm. It's because, well, that that, that was, I guess, part of your job description 10 years ago. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we've just never stopped to question it. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Well, that that right there is a powerful exercise that it doesn't matter. And and I want to say, you know, for anyone who's listening who's a solopreneur, 
still do that exercise because what you'll find is, yes, you might be doing all those things yourself, but what on that 90, you know, let's say you've got 96 things, which I'm guessing many people do. Um, yep. I am guessing that probably, you know, 90% of them are things that you could potentially outsource or put into a partnership kind of situation, or like you said, eliminate. Yes. Um, because you're spinning your wheels or wasting time. Yes. Well, so here's here's one. This is so interesting. You bring this up about the solopreneur, as you call it. Uh, this morning, I picked up a project from a welder, and uh, stopped by a shop. And you know, he's a owner of a business. He's the only employee, and. Uh, he said, yeah, you know, I, I'm under a lot of stress lately and, and I've got stomach problems. My hip hurts you know, I've got problems with my leg. I'm the only guy here and, uh, you know, yada, yada, yada. And uh, and I said, so do you have an assistant? And well, no, I don't. Mm-hmm. And uh, have you ever thought about it? And I said, well, you know, I've just been doing it all myself. And, I'm pretty... and so he's just trying to do everything this guy's working 80 hours a week he he told me he hadn't had a vacation in three years and you know i just couldn't help myself i i said so (laughs) for what it's worth i said this changed my life Mm -hmm. 10 years ago uh the very first thing i would tell you is go through this exercise and when you do you're going to end up with a bunch of things hire an assistant (laughs) Mm -hmm. we could probably take at least half yeah. Uh, don't hire the assistant before you've done this exercise because that now gives you an opportunity to look at this and say, okay, if I'm going to hire an assistant and I'm going to pay him or her, you know, uh, for 15 or 20 hours a week worth of work, what am I going to have them do? And I said, it's a game changer. You're going to get at least 20 hours a week back, probably more. And your challenge isn't how much more work you can do. It's if you really want to grow this thing, you're not going to be able to do that without letting go of some stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I said, I want to see you take a vacation. Call me. Yeah. Well, I was going to say it's it's about getting his time back, but it also sounds like it's his health. Yes. Um, you know, his his well-being. And, and if he doesn't have that, then he's not going to have a business, you know. So it almost sounds like it's a it's a non-negotiable that that has to be addressed. Right. And this is something nobody else can help us with. We, we have to take that first step right. ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great lead into um, my, my final question around this topic, which is what bottom line advice do you have for an introvert who wants to be a great boss? Yeah, that's a great one. Uh, you know, there's, we, we tell people like there's four simple truths here about being a great boss. And one of them is your style doesn't matter. You, you get to be you. Right. So whether you're an introvert, an extrovert, you're easygoing, you're stern, it just doesn't matter. Everybody has has their own style and just be genuine, be you. And when you do that, uh, I think you're going to be more believable. Uh, You'll build trust a whole heck of a lot quicker. And and I think people appreciate someone who's being genuine. I mean, I've worked for some bosses that were tough as nails and some that were pretty easygoing. And I got to tell you didn't matter and Mm -hmm. one of the best bosses i ever had was tough as nails (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. but that that person was probably human you know being authentic (laughs) yeah yeah and i think you know there's so many myths too you know like uh you know about uh about bosses right familiarity breeds contempt i mean that's baloney uh you know the old boss is supposed to know everything and do everything and all that i mean you know come on we're just human right Right. That seems like that's the most important lesson of all. 
So thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I want to wrap up with the question that I ask all of my guests. And that's if you were granted a three-week vacation on Introvert Island and you could take only three books with you, what would you take with you and why? Wait, so wait a minute. Three weeks? Three weeks. So I have three weeks and three books. I only get to pick three books and it's for that's three right. weeks. Are you a fast reader? <laughs> I am a pretty fast reader. So understanding that, I'd have to bring in some books. But one of them, and I was, it was funny because I was just looking at this the other day. Uh, it would be, uh, I, would, I would bring Tom Sawyer, mm -hmm. The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. <laughs> nice. Just, I think that's a great little boss book, by the way. Uh -huh. that's, uh, yeah, we get, but we get lessons from everywhere, don't we? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Painting, whitewashing the fence. Yeah. Uh, so that I think that'd be one. Uh, another one that I read years ago that I'd bring back and reread uh, is a book by Robert Massey called Dreadnought. And it's the story about the naval arms race mm -hmm. before World War One, And when you read that, and the folly that that created and, and what it did to nations. It's its almost like history repeating itself as we're sitting here today. Yeah. So I would bring that. And then the third book uh, would be uh, would be the Bible. You know, mm -hmm. I've never read the Bible cover to cover. Uh, you know, learned the Bible in school when I was, you know, was a kid. But uh, I'd bring the Bible. If we're going to be yeah. there, for, I'm yeah. going to be there for three weeks and got something to read. I'd read that. Yeah, that's well. People spend a lifetime on that one, so it's <laughs> that's a great one yeah. to to choose for that time because you do have all that that time to focus. So great, thank you so much. And um, what is the best way for people to connect with you, Renee, and learn more about the book and other work that you do? Yeah, so I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, you can uh, uh, email me at uh, Renee R E N E at tractionprocess.com. Uh, my website is also Traction Process. Uh, you can order the book, How to Be a Great Boss, on Amazon or uh, Barnes & Noble. Uh, and that's probably the easiest way to uh, to reach me. I also do uh, a four- to five-minute video every other week on this topic of being a great boss. Uh, and you can link to that right off the website. Awesome. Well, I will make sure that those links um, get put in the program show notes so that people can uh, easily find you. And um, thank you so much for your generous sharing and for for sharing this topic with us with um, great insight and humor. <laughs> I so appreciate it. You're welcome, Beth. I, I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thanks again for joining me for this episode today. I hope it's given you a new perspective on how you can be a better boss for others or for yourself. I especially appreciated the reminder to do an inventory of everything I do and look carefully for places to delegate or eliminate tasks. It's a suggestion that's incredibly aligned with taking care of our introvert energy and making sure that we're focusing most of our time on activities that nourish us rather than deplete us. A reminder that you'll find links to any resources mentioned in this podcast, as well as Renee's Introvert Island book selections in the episode show notes at theintrovertentrepreneur.com slash podcast. If you have questions or comments or inquiries about coaching resources and services available to you through The Introvert Entrepreneur, I invite you to email me directly at beth at theintrovertentrepreneur.com. And if you're not already a subscriber to this podcast, it's a great idea to take that step so that you are always in the loop about new episodes. 
A big thanks to Paul Messing, my podcast producer, and to my assistant, Naja, for the episode show notes. You're both awesome, and I really appreciate you. This is Beth Below, the introvert entrepreneur. And until we meet again, remember that success is an inside job. <laughs>